please remain standing to hear God's holy word coming to us today from the fifth chapter of Acts. Hear these words. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him in his own right, at his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We were witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of God for the people of God. As you're being seated, just a few announcements before we get to the main part of the message. Today is Scouting Ministry Sunday, and we're grateful for the presence of many of our scouts uh, from our troop and our pack. And we want to say thank you to Barry Bray, who has served as Scoutmaster for many years. And we want to welcome Scott Sayovitz as Scoutmaster to Troop 12. Scott says that they look forward to Scout Sunday every year to recognize the honor and partnership that they've had for so many years with Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. Scott wanted me to convey this message to the congregation. Some may not know that Troop 12 began operation in the 1930s and in this very neighborhood and takes great pride in the valuable life lessons that we teach our young people. Not only the fun stuff like camping, scuba diving, horseback riding and trap shooting, but vital life skills such as CPR, emergency preparedness, and wilderness survival. Cleanliness, reverence, and a helpful attitude are the very words that we live by. We've hosted hundreds of, hundreds of scouts over the years, teaching those lessons, and even through the, though these last two years have been tough on everyone, our scouts have proven to be resilient and creative in getting their goals accomplished. Despite the pandemic, we've been blessed with awarding 10 Eagle Scout badges. They've utilized virtual meetings and outdoor spaces and let nothing hold them back. I always say you can't predict the wind, you, but you can adjust your sails. Scott t continues, I couldn't be more proud of each of them, but I am also equally proud of the relationship we built with Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. I look forward to many more years of service to you as an additional ministry to our young people. With that, I will pledge to you our scout oath. On our honor, we will do our best to do our duty to God and our country, to obey the scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep ourselves physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Thank you once again, and may God bless you all. And thank you all for being here this morning. And I know you'll want to support our scouting ministry by going to their fundraiser and uh, taking some food home with you after the service is over. You'll be able to find a table out here in the, uh, in the gathering hall. A couple of more announcements. Don't forget about our midweek meditation uh, coming up this Wednesday in the chapel at 12.05 on Wednesday, and also our Wednesday evening studies. 
Also, together with Second Baptist Church, we're still helping a family from Afghanistan. If you're interested in helping physically or financially, please give me a call personally this week and I'll uh, put you through to the right people. Or if you're just interested in giving financially, which is very helpful, you can go to phumc.com slash giving online and you'll select the refugee settlement. Lastly, on behalf of Dr. Robbins, I wanna thank you for your generosity. As of last week, Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church is completely debt free. Thank you so much for all of you who made this happen. Members, guests, plus those who are online and watching on television at home uh, in our streaming services. We are so very, very grateful. Thank you. Now, here we are, the week after Easter. And I'm not sure if Easter seems like it was yesterday or a long, long time ago. Last week, however, many of us were sitting here in this sanctuary, giving glory to God that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. And because of that, it was a promise from God that death will not have the last word. Now what? When we say Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, very good. You're not asleep yet. But Acts provides us with a great opportunity to reflect with Luke on the present and living power of the resurrected Christ for new life in community. As many of you know, the books of Luke and Acts serve as a part one and part two written by the same author. Luke tells us the story of Jesus. Acts tells us about the birth of the church beginning with Pentecost. But here we are, the Sunday after Easter, and we find ourselves in chapter five of Acts. And there's a lot of stuff going on in chapter five before and after our scripture lesson. Chapter five begins with the story of the death of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, in a lesson on giving that is rarely preached. You'll have to read it. Then the apostles performed signs and wonders, and more and more men and women believed in who Jesus the Christ is. Also, many were healed in the name of Jesus. And as this momentum is growing, the Sadducees and their leadership began to get a little jealous of the disciples and their newfound fame. They arrested the apostles and put them in jail. However, an angel released them and told them to go back to the temple and teach the people. And so they did. Moving on, the high priest and associates arrived to an empty jail cell and found out that the disciples were at the temple teaching. So they went to the temple, they arrested the disciples again and using no force because they were afraid of the backlash of the followers. And that gets us to the verses where we are this morning. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. 
Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We were witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, then the scripture lesson moves on. Not our lesson for this morning, but we have to know the context. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put the disciples to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all people, stood up to the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for just a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied around him. He was killed, and all his followers dispersed. And then it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you to leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of, is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged and then uh, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, scripture says, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. So that's the context of chapter 5. As I said, there's a lot going on around our selected verses today. The apostles were doing what they felt they were called to do. The apostles were doing what they felt that they were called to do, commissioned to do. But in doing so, they were drawing public attention. And it probably didn't help anything that they were teaching about a Jewish man who was hung to death and executed on a Roman cross. From a Roman perspective, Caesar was the sole savior of the world and healer. The authorities who were deeply invested in depicting the emperor as only the savior saw Peter's words as a challenge to this fact for them and a mockery of royal titles. Jesus, from their perspective, was an imposter, an imposter who should not be associated with titles that the emperor also has rightfully earned. These followers of Jesus had already been arrested back in chapter four 
for teaching in the temple about Jesus and his resurrection. The leaders had already heard Peter and John speaking for all the disciples that they could not stop speaking about these things. Not surprisingly, the disciples continued to preach and teach in the temple. And not surprisingly, the high priest had them arrested again. An angel, you'll remember, released them from the cell, sent them back to the temple once again to preach in Jesus' name. And one more time in, in Acts chapter 5, they have the disciples arrested and brought before the ruling council. So I guess you could say that for the disciples and for the Sanhedrin, it was like some kind of first century Groundhog Day. Here are a few takeaways from our passages this morning. The name game. No, I'm not talking about J.J. Bobay Banana Fana Fofay. And if you don't know the name game, you can Google it and, and, and play it yourself. But for those of you that do know what I'm talking about, um, the, the name game, Jesus. The high priest will not even say the name of Jesus. And I found that really a bit striking. Did he not say the name of Jesus because he did not want to give the name of Jesus credence? Or did he not say the name of Jesus knowing the power it invoked? Number two, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, this has been used and abused over the years for everything from peaceful protests to revolts in all forms of social and civil disobedience in between. But I also think about how the Sanhedrin must feel like they have zero power right now. They can't imprison the disciples. They can't keep them from teaching and preaching. And like Jesus, they charge the disciples with a false crime that they're determined to put Jesus' blood on them. The apostles do not use the resurrection and the gospel as an opportunity for vengeance and violence, but rather for healing and for good news. Now, Peter rejects their power and authority and tells them that we must obey God rather than any human authority, reminding the religious authorities that they also should be following God, not themselves. Theological evidence for religious civil disobedience from Martin Luther King's speeches to Martin Luther's Here I Stand to Bonhoeffer, uh, his plot against Hitler. Sometimes we can only see slivers of that in today's world. But it is something to reflect on. The third thing, Peter telling them that they killed Jesus. Now, I think this is a piece that we need to spend a little more time with. Of course, Peter is engaging in a bit of what one author called historical revisionism. No Jew had the authority to crucify anyone. Only Israel's Roman occupiers had the authority and power to hang anyone on a tree. It's the Roman governor Pilate who authorizes his soldiers to first torture and then put Jesus to death. He gives the religious leaders the power to convince him to have Jesus crucified. Since we sometimes practice 
historical revisionism ourselves, we may think that Peter is playing fast and loose with the historical facts and that that's not really a big deal, but it is a big deal, it's a huge deal. Christians have used Peter's words and accusations to justify all sorts of unjustifiable behaviors and attitudes, including the Holocaust. Some have held an entire group of people responsible for the jealous actions of a few religious leaders. I certainly wouldn't want the world to hold some of us accountable for what a small group of people do as Christians. With one breath, Peter emphasizes to perhaps some of the same leaders God's gift of life and God's gift of forgiveness. Peter offers those who share in Jesus' crucifixion forgiveness for that role. The fourth thing, we have Peter's confession that starts out, the God of our ancestors. So Peter links this miraculous God with the God that the Sanhedrin also worshiped. They link themselves with their captors as worshiping the same God, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus from the dead. From the beginning, a real resurrection has been at the very heart of the gospel. And God did it. Your God, my God, our God, the God of our fathers, Yahweh. God raised Jesus. That matters more than anything. Because as Paul famously said in 1 Corinthians, if he didn't rise, then none of the rest is true. And we are still in our sins and we are misrepresenting God himself. The other thing Peter says is about repentance for Israel. Peter either believes this good news is still only for the Jews or maybe he just knew his audience really well. Peter also emphasizes the forgiveness of sins. There's no condemnation here, only an invitation. And lastly, Peter goes on to, we are witnesses and so is the Holy Spirit. We have seen and cannot be silent. Oh, they still want to kill Peter, but they don't. However, in the next chapter, they arrest and then stone Stephen. Twice, the apostles preached in the temple. Twice they were arrested. Once they were flogged. And yet Acts 5 concludes with the apostles rejoicing for their sufferings and preaching in the temple every single day. Too often discouragement can creep in. And we, we cease to proclaim who Jesus is in our lives. There, there's a great witness that comes from those who keep at it. I hope that this week, as we move into the second week after Easter, we can continue to pick up the apostles' torch and carry it forward. Remember, Jesus appears in unexpected ways. Rules we thought were hard and fast no longer apply. That's why the lectionary asks that we listen to the acts of the apostles during these weeks after Easter. The book of Acts puts us in an Easter state of mind and it reminds us of what becomes possible 
in a post-Easter world. Last week, Dr. Robbins closed with the first verse of He Lives. It was one of the most popular of 20th century songs, not just for Easter, but in lots of houses of worship. It was written by Alfred Ackley in 1933. While in California working with a revival service, Ackley began to visit with a Jewish man who attended some of the revival meetings he was working on. And this young student kept saying, why would I worship a dead Jew? Why should I do that? And it bothered Ackley because he really didn't have an answer. And it stayed on his mind. And then when he got up to, to finish preparing for his Easter sermon on that Sunday morning, he was amazed to hear another radio preacher, a uh, famous preacher in New York, say, Good morning, everyone. This is on the radio. It's Easter. You know, folks, it really doesn't make a difference to me if Christ be risen or not. As far as I'm concerned, his body could be dust in some Palestinian tomb. The main thing is, his truth goes marching on. Well, angry, Reverend Ackley unplugged the radio and threw it across the room and smashed it against the wall, yelling, it's a lie. He couldn't get these two instances out of his mind. And during the Easter service that morning, Ackley preached with strength and urgency about Christ's resurrection and its reality in his life. But later that night, he continued to think about his Jewish friend and the words he had heard in that sermon on the radio that morning. His wife told him it was time to do what he does best, and that was to write a song about it, and he would feel better. So in his study, Ackley reread the resurrection account from Mark's gospel in the Bible, and these words began to pour out of him. And since Dr. Robbins did the first verse last week, I'll do the last verse this week. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He still lives. He still lives. We are all part of a bigger story with a thread that goes from the beginning of time right through our time today and will continue on. We're so grateful to be part of this story. Each Sunday, we're going to hear from someone in our own congregation, part of their story, part of that thread. This morning, we're going to hear from Garth Martin. Faith is a fundamental element in my religious life. I go back to the uh, biblical uh, definition, which I believe is in Hebrews, where it says, faith is the assurance of hope, things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. And I think in uh, the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. So I try to incorporate some work along the way in my faith journey. 
I guess I just grew up with it uh, from my early days in Sunday school when I actually studied in the catechism. As I grew older, uh, faith became an integral precept in my life. Well, faith is a wonderful resource for me. Uh, when my wife died recently, faith gave me comfort and assurance that she had entered into eternal life and was living with Jesus and God. Without faith, you know, the everyday difficulties that we all encounter would simply overwhelm us. Well, faith gives me a pattern to follow in my daily life by helping me follow the teachings of Jesus and maybe helping somebody else in some way. Faith helps me realize that each day will be okay if I follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I guess I follow the uh, philosophy of our basketball coach, Eric Musselman, who says, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And faith helps me do that because without faith, uh, life would be very difficult and, and a real drudgery. But faith is a basic source of a peaceful, godly life.